Uh, and so this last day uh, of this year, uh, we're going to preach on these last verses in Mark chapter 16. We're going to pick up in verse 14 and read through the end of the chapter. You know, uh, in case you didn't know, yesterday was Christmas. Did y'all know that? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Some of you may have missed that. Uh, yesterday was, was Christmas. Uh, but Christmas, you know, we say, well, Christmas is over. You, you don't understand Christmas. Uh, Christmas was the beginning, not the end. And because of Christmas, because Jesus came, we have a, we have a future. We have, we have future ministry. It's just the, the start of the story. And, uh, and not only that, but it's, it's the start of our ministry because when Jesus came and what Jesus did in the Gospel of Mark as we've uh, faithfully worked through this, this whole book here, the, the life of, uh, of Jesus here, that was, as we get to Mark chapter 16, this is not the end, just, just the beginning. Uh, as you'll see in the verses that we read uh, this morning, Mark chapter 16, uh, beginning in verse 14. And let me just ask you this question. Do you believe the gospel? Yes. Do you really believe the gospel? We'll see because I got some more questions for you. Uh, you may say that, but maybe we need to step up our belief in the gospel and let it be shown in, in what we do. Because remember what James said. Uh, he said, belief without works is dead. And, uh, and so uh, that applies to the gospel as well. Mark chapter 16 and verse 14 where it says, Later he, the he is Jesus, he appeared uh, to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart. Now this is after the resurrection, okay? Jesus already died on the cross, he was buried, and he rose from the dead on the third day. And so here he is, he's rebuking their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will be by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And so then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven. We read about that in Acts chapter 1. And sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. And all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. Now, as we get into this passage, some of you are already wondering about something, you know, because matter of fact, you may have been wondering about the last time we were in Mark, because going all the way back to verse nine, most of our Bibles have a little note that is there. And in that note, whether it's at the bottom of your page or out beside there, or maybe in parentheses, even before that passage starts, maybe ver verses nine through 20 are bracketed off. And it says that this passage, verses nine through the end of the chapter are not included in the earliest manuscripts, manuscripts, excuse me. <laughs> uh, with, and, and, and the question arises as, as what? And I could just skip over that and just not say anything about it, but I do want to bring some clarity uh, to that. Now, uh, there are some scholars that, that have that note and that have come up with that note that, that you put there, and I'm not a scholar. I want, you, I want, to, I want to clarify that as, as we get going here. I'm not a scholar. 
Uh, I've, I've had a bachelor's degree and a master's degree. And, and in those classes, you know, I've studied textual criticism, which is what we're talking about here uh, in the Greek. I've studied Bible translation, but I am by no means uh, a scholar. I still use some of that uh, as I'm preparing to preach uh, uh, passages in the New Testament and the Old Testament, but I am by, by no means a scholar. But understand this, when the, the New Testament was written, the whole New Testament was written, these different books that are put together with what we call the New Testament, uh, it was written in the first century, and it was, they were written in the Greek language. That was the common language that uh, most everybody spoke at that day. And back then, they didn't have copy machines. They didn't have laptops. They didn't, they didn't have the technology that we have today. And so these manuscripts were written by hand and so that they could be shared, especially as the gospel expanded and, and as the kingdom expanded and as churches expanded, they began to share these manuscripts with one another. In order to do that, they had to make copies. So they were copied by hand and these copies were distributed. And as they were distributed, as they began to deteriorate some, they'd be recopied over and over over uh, again. We don't have any of the originals that were written by like Mark or, or by Luke or by Paul uh, today. We've just got copies of copies uh, that have been preserved or that have been found through archaeology and, and things like that. But we have over 5,000 Greek manuscripts of the Bible, of the New Testament in particular. And in those manuscripts, in those copies of copies, as humans are copying them, there's going to be a few differences. There's going to maybe a word left out, you know, because they, they skipped over it because humans can make errors in, in doing that. And so that has happened, but nothing significant. And when uh, the Bible was first translated to English by, by Wycliffe back in the, the 1500s, he took the Greek manuscripts, which were thousands at that time, and he translated them into English. In the 1611, when the King James Version was first written, they took what was uh, uh, then called the Textus Receptus, which was a combination of these Greek manuscripts, and as they studied them, what they felt was the most accurate, and they translated that into English as well. And so that was in 1611. In the 1800s, a full copy of the New Testament in Greek was discovered in the Sinai Peninsula at a monastery that was there. It's called Sinaiticus uh, is, is what it is, is called. If you see that reference, that's what they are, are talking about. And that dated all the way back to the fourth century, to the 300s, if you will, is uh, apparently when that copy uh, was made. And of that copy of the whole New Testament, there were some minor differences. One of those was that their copy, the Sinaiticus, didn't have verses 9 through 20. So that's why they, that note is there that some of the earliest manuscripts don't have this passage. So is it real or is it not? Let me make a few points about this. This is just my opinion, all right? What I shared with you there was, was fact. This is where my opinion comes in, and, and that and a nickel still won't get you a single thing, all right? <laughs> uh, and so, but, but this is my opinion. One thing is that there are earlier manuscripts than Sinaiticus that do have this, this references to this passage. In particular, uh, in the second century, in the 100s AD, we have writings of Justin Martyr, we have writings of Irenaeus, where they quote from this ending of Mark chapter 16. So you go, hmm, maybe it was around. And then you, you look at the fact that 
that uh, uh, the majority of those, those 5,000 manuscripts, that I say, well, not all of them have, Luke, uh, have Mark in there, uh, but the ones that have Mark in there, the majority of them, uh, all uh, of the copies just of the Gospel of Mark, have this ending in it. The one that they found at Sinaiticus, the, the copy, uh, had the full New Testament. It wasn't just a copy of Mark, but most of the copies that are just of Mark have this ending in them as well. And when you look at probability, which is more likely, that someone would add something to the Scripture or that someone might accidentally leave something off? Uh, and, and so it's more likely that, that something would be left off or would end up missing or, or a page would get torn or something like that than it is that someone would come in and, and write and add that in, especially early on as far as we're concerned. And now, here's the, the main thing I want you to understand is that in this passage of Scripture, which right now you may be wondering, but I'm going to get there, there is nothing there that contradicts other Scripture. There's no new teaching. There's no contradictory teaching that is here. It is all, everything that is taught in this passage is supported and confirmed by the rest of the New Testament. And so you say, well, if that's true, why did they put that note in there about early? That just confuses people. Well, as the Bible translators, as they're doing that, they wanted to make sure, they wanted to handle the Word of God with integrity. And they wanted you to know that some did and some didn't. They're not trying to hide anything. And that you can study it, you can talk to scholars, you can find out about that, about where it is. But the main thing, if you take Mark 16 off, it doesn't change the integrity of the Word of God. If you keep Mark 16 in there, it doesn't change the integrity of the Word of God. And so don't, don't let people say, well, that, that means that the Word of God's not true. No, matter of fact, it confirms the Word of God is true because we, we're telling you that we're not hiding anything. We're telling you that, 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 that there are some that had it and some that didn't. We don't know what it says, but everything that is taught here is taught elsewhere in Scripture. So it's nothing new. It confirms what the rest of Scripture already says. What I want you to understand is that the gospel is true. We say, do you believe the gospel? The gospel is true. And that's the focus of this passage. Jesus really did come. Jesus really did die on the cross for our sins. Jesus really was raised from the dead. And the gospel, Jesus, and what he did on the cross really will save you if you surrender your life to Jesus Christ. It's all true. That's our message. That's our focus as a church. This is our mission. Do you believe that this really did happen? And do you believe that this is all that really matters? When everything is said and done for, for you as an individual and for everyone that is on this world, do you believe that it is the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only thing that will matter when your life comes to an end? If yes, then there's some questions we need to ask ourselves. If we believe this is true, if we believe the gospel, then number one, are we acting as a barrier to the gospel? If we believe the gospel is true, then are we acting as a barrier to this gospel that is true? Look in verse 14. It says there, later Jesus appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table and he rebuked 
their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. There's some issues going on here and Jesus has to rebuke them because of, of, of what is lacking in their life. The word rebuke there, it means to show, not only to show that you're wrong, but to show that what you're wrong about is detrimental. It is, it is serious. And, and when it comes to the gospel, when we're wrong about in our behavior, uh, as far as the gospel is concerned, or when we're, we're wrong in, in our behavior as far as Jesus is concerned, then it can be detrimental. It can be a, a it can, life's hang in the balance and a poor witness for Jesus Christ can be detrimental as far as eternity is concerned. If we live a life, if we say we believe the gospel and yet our life shows no difference from people who don't believe that there's a gospel, it can be detrimental. If we live a life, if we say that we believe the gospel and we believe that Jesus has saved us and we have a relationship with him and the spirit of God lives within us, but all we do is chasing after our flesh and we live in fear and unbelief, it can be detrimental. There are two barriers that he's talking about right here. First of all, there's the barrier of unbelief. What did he rebuke? It says in verse 14, he rebuked their unbelief. Now he's not talking about lost and saved belief here. They said they believed the gospel. They said that they believed in Jesus. They've left everything to follow after him, but there are issues of unbelief within them. How can we lead others to believe in Jesus when we've got doubts ourselves? And often the way it looks in a Christian's life in a poor witness's life is that we believe that Jesus will save you. We believe that Jesus died for our sins on the cross, but we just don't believe all the other stuff about Jesus. So we don't surrender our lives completely to him. We believe parts about Jesus, but not all of it. So we need a full belief. And then he talks about the hardness of the heart. He rebuked their unbelief and the hardness of their heart. You see, it's a heart issue that he's rebuking here. There, it is because of the, their doubts, because of, of, of what they've been through, they're, they're refusing to receive the love of God and they're refusing to love God. They, they're, they're doing some right things here. They're, they're not necessarily doing the wrong thing here. It doesn't say about anything that they're doing wrong, but there's no passion for God. They're not believing. They're seeing Jesus. They're hearing about Jesus. They know what Jesus said. And yes, they, be, they said they believe he was the Messiah, the, the Son of God. They believed all that, but now they're not believing the, 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 the truth, the full truth of the resurrection. And so that, there's a heart issue at, at, at stake here. There's, they're, they're, they've got some of the right head knowledge, but their, their passion is not there. And that's the issue throughout the Bible. We have a divided heart. Our flesh wants to do one thing. God says do another, and we go after our flesh. We go In the Old Testament, they were going after idols that, 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 that fed their flesh, and, and that's what they did. In the New Testament, we don't have idols uh, sitting on our our. our, our, our uh, pedestals at home and, and things like that, but we go after the things of this world and the things of the flesh. Before I move off of this, let me just say this, that we need to realize that unbelief and hardness of heart can come to each one of us. And it often comes when we go through hardships in life. We believe 
Jesus loves me, this I know, but we don't believe he loves us enough to carry us through the problems that we're going through. And we begin to wane in our belief and our heart becomes bitter and hard toward even God. And so there's that reality that it can come, but I want to give you good news. There's the reality that it can be overcome because that's exactly what happened in these men. Jesus did a work in their lives and helped them to overcome. How can we do that? How, how can we, we overcome this? Well, we can overcome it. And, and one of the ways that we can do it is what we're, we're starting up again this year is this, this engage that we are starting up where we're wanting to engage the word of God. Let me tell you what the Bible says in Romans. It says faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by what? The word of God. <laughs> and so there's the word of God. And so we got a Bible reading plan. There's some in the, in the foyer there. There's some in the uh, uh, welcome center that you can pick up and you can begin on January the 1st reading through the Bible. If you read each day, the, there's an Old Testament passage, there's a New Testament passage, and there's a passage from uh, Psalms or Proverbs or Ecclesiastes, one of the wisdom literature. Uh, the book of Job is in that middle part. You can read. And if you read all those passages, if you read each day's passage, you'll read through the Bible in the year. But that's not the goal is to read through the Bible in the year. The goal is every day to meet with God in his word. And if you just want to do the New Testament passage, that's fine. If you just want to do the Old Testament passage, that's fine. If you get behind, don't get two hours uh, uh, on a Saturday and try to catch up with everything. Just read, get in the word of God today. Meet with God today. Engage God in the word. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word of God will produce faith in our life. It will draw us to faith. It'll push us to faith. It'll pull us to faith. You can't have faith without the word. You neglect the word of God, your faith is going to wane. And you're going to become a barrier to the gospel. Not only do we need to engage with the word, but we need to engage with God. Not just reading the word, but asking God to speak to us through the word and praying over the things that he brings out in the word. Changes we need to make. Maybe he gives us names of people that are going through some of the issues that we're reading about and we can intercede for them and pray for them. So we meet with God in prayer and then meet with one another. There's in the uh, engage reading, there's an insert there that talks about your Bible reading, engaging with God in the word, but also talks about engaging with one another. And I want to encourage you a couple of years ago when we did this, some of us did it for a while. Uh, some of us may have slacked off on it. Some of us may not have, done, but I want to encourage you to get a small group together and, and, and each week or every other week, just, just get together and just say, what's God teaching you through the word of God? What's going on in your life? How can I pray for you? And just encourage one another. And where we can help make sure that we're not being a barrier to the gospel. You believe the gospel? Or are you acting as a barrier to the gospel? Second question, are we obeying the commands of the gospel? Notice in verse 15, Jesus said to them, and he says to us, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Those are the commands. Are we obeying those commands? See, obedience, it comes out of faith. It comes out of belief that we believe that if we believe the gospel, then we believe that God can save lost people, right? 
Well, do we believe that he will save lost people? Do we believe it enough that we'll obey the commands of the gospel and do what he said? Go and share and preach the gospel, proclaim the gospel, share the gospel with those that are lost. If we believe it, then our actions will show that as we obey the commands of the gospel. And we do it not out of obligation, not out of duty, but out of love because we want others to know the one that we love. He's our passion. He's our Savior. He's our Lord. And we're in love. Listen, you talk about the things you love. If you love Alabama or Auburn football, that's what you talk about. If you love your grandchildren, that's what you talk about. If you love your spouse, that's what you talk about. If you love your job, that's what you talk We talk about the things that we love. Do you love Jesus? Share him with others. And there are the two commands there. How do we do that? Well, you got to go. Yes, we want, the, we want lost people to come here and hear the gospel, but there's, the majority of them won't come here. We've got to take it to them. We've got to go. Yes, the resurrection, the angel told those women, said, come and see. Come and see that the, the tomb is empty. But he didn't finish there. Then he said, go and tell. Go and tell. That's the command of the gospel, to go and to tell, to go into all the world. Everybody needs to hear the gospel. Every age bracket, every demographic, every, every uh, uh, culture, every language, people need to hear the gospel. That's why we go to Honduras. That's why we, we need to be going across the street. That's why we need to be going into the city of Florence. That's why we need to be going out into the county. That's why we, we go to Alaska and help. Jordan and, and Hannah there. That's why we do these things. Why? Because everybody needs to hear. Everybody needs to hear the gospel. So we got to go. And then we've got to share the gospel. We've got to preach the gospel. That word preach, it doesn't mean get behind the pulpit. It just means open your mouth and let her fly. Share your testimony. Doesn't take long. Just, just tell somebody how Jesus saved you. And how he loves them and can save them. Just share with somebody. In order to fulfill this second command, we not only have to go, but you got to open your mouth. You got to say something. Listen, the gospel is good news, it is worth sharing. The good news that yes, we are all sinners, but Jesus came and paid the price for our sin. And that all you've got to do, there's, you don't have to jump through hoops. You don't have to, to do anything. You just believe in him. You put your faith in him. Receive him as your Lord and Savior, and he will save you. But listen, it's not good news if they don't hear The second Wednesday night in January, two weeks from this Wednesday night, we're going to start a new study on Wednesday night, 6.30, called Gospel Ready. And I want to encourage you to be part of that. To come, we're going to be meeting in the fellowship hall, so come and be a part of that study. If you've got other obligations, we're going to do our best to record it, and by Thursday morning have it up so you can Watch it then. It's not going to be, we're not going to make you stand up and embarrass you or memorize 300 passages of scripture or anything like that. We just want to encourage you. We just want to help you. I'm going to share some things from my life. I'm going to share some things from evangelism studies that I've been through that I think will, will help you, encourage you, equip you to share the gospel so that we can do a better job of obeying the commands of the gospel. Because if we believe the gospel, 
will obey the commands of the gospel. Third question. Are we sharing the promises of the gospel? Notice what he says in verse 16. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. This is why some people don't like the end of Mark chapter 16, because they don't like that believe and be baptized. But understand what he's saying here. Understand what Jesus is saying. Baptism is important, okay? We, it's not a condition of salvation. It's not a, a work of salvation, but it is important. It's a confession of salvation. It's not the means of salvation. It's a confession after you're saved. Because believing, baptism is important, but it's the belief that is essential. Because you're condemned, not if you're not baptized, but if, but if you don't believe. It's the belief that's essential. But baptism is important. And if you've never been baptized as a confession of your faith in Jesus, let's talk about it. I, I encourage you to do that. And whatever reasons there are for, for, for not doing that, let's just talk about that. Because in the New Testament, those that believed were baptized. And so it, it, it is important. But it's easy when you look at that that we lose focus on the two promises. The focus is not the baptism. The focus is the salvation and the condemnation. Listen, we have a promise of salvation, a promise from Jesus himself that if we believe and, and, and have a belief that is, that is where we surrender to Jesus, where we receive him as our Lord and Savior, not just a head belief, not just believing that God is real, not just believing that Jesus walked on the earth and did the things that he did, but a belief that is a surrender to Jesus, where we have a born-again experience with Jesus Christ, then we can be saved. We can be redeemed from our sins. We can be rescued from our, our sinful condition. We can be set free from the, the punishment of sin and the, the power of sin in our lives through Jesus Christ. That's the promise of salvation, and it's real. And whoever calls upon the name of the Lord can and will be saved. But then there's also the promise of condemnation. I heard one of my, Brother Mike Brzezinski, my pastor going up, I heard him say, and I don't think it was original with him, but I've heard him say a number of times that it's not lost people that need to hear sermons on hell, it's the church. Not because we're going to hell, but because we need to do a better job of keeping people from going to hell. And we need to understand the truth of condemnation. It may not apply to you because you have put your faith in Jesus Christ. Amen to that. But it may apply to those around you. Matter of fact, if they have not put their faith in Jesus, it does apply to them. He who does not believe will be condemned. It's what we all deserve. But we must put our faith in Jesus. And if we put our faith in Jesus, we get salvation and not condemnation. But if we don't put our faith in Jesus, then condemnation, what we deserve, awaits us. That's why we must engage that's why we must equip ourselves. That's why we must encourage one another. That's why we must go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature because if they do not believe, if they do not put their faith in Christ, then they will be condemned forever. So are we sharing the promises of the gospel? And then number four, are we walking in the power of the gospel? Here's what some of you have been waiting on, verses 17 through, through 18 here. 
It says, these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They'll speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. What's he talking about? He's talking about the power of the gospel here. Now, remember the context. He's not talking about just going out and doing foolish things. He's talking about when you're on mission to share the gospel and God has called you and he has sent you to, to go out and to share the gospel, then he will watch over you. He will take care of you. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel overcomes every barrier. Even when the barrier is a, is a preacher who's not being obedient to God, who's not living for God, who's not filled with the Spirit of God. Even though, uh, and there have been preachers that have gotten up and preached the gospel and they've been lost themselves. Let me tell you what, Jesus will honor the gospel. Why? Because he cares for the lost person on the pew. He cares for the lost person that is, he that is hearing the, the, the truth of God's word. And the truth of the gospel will save anybody who clings to that truth, who embraces that truth, who puts their faith in Jesus because of that truth no matter what the vessel is. I'm thankful for that. <laughs> Some of you may have grown up and, and there was a preacher that was, and you were saved and you gave your life to Jesus and experienced genuine salvation. Later on you found out that preacher was, was lost and, or maybe you had a moral failure or something like that. That has nothing to do with the gospel. And then it overcomes barriers on mission fields. There can be governments that say it's illegal to share the gospel within our, our country's borders. And yet the gospel still gets there. There are language barriers that people don't understand. And God comes to them in a, in a dream or something like that. The, the, an angel comes to them. or they, they have this and they seek out someone who can share the gospel with them in their own language. It's amazing how it happens all the time because God provides there's power in the gospel. Now, understand this. He, again, he's not talking about just doing foolish things. He's talking about in a gospel-sharing context, there will be spiritual protect, protection. He says in verse 17, in my name they will cast out demons. Let me tell you something. You want to get into spiritual warfare, then start sharing the gospel. And spiritual warfare is real and the devil will attack you. But the good news is he can be overcome. Matter of fact, we have example of this very verse being fulfilled in Acts chapter uh, 16 and verse 18. It says there in, in Acts 16, uh, when Paul and Silas, when they were, they were, uh, uh, they were there ministering in, uh, uh, in, in the, where was it? They were in Philippi, where they were. And this, this uh, lady, this young girl comes up to them that is filled with demons and, and is interrupting what they're trying to do. And then what happens is, and she did this for many days. And Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of her that very hour. There's Mark 16 ful, uh, fulfilled in Acts chapter 16. It, it happened. He gives spiritual protection. He gives clear communication. In other words, he won't let language be a barrier. He says there, he says uh, in verse 17, they will speak with new tongues, new to, to us, tongues that we may not even understand. He talks about how the, how the Holy Spirit gives supernatural understanding. I've seen this in, on the mission field in, in Ukraine where, where people have, have been able to understand the gospel and be given under, able to understand a, a Bible that they did, could not speak that language. And God does that. He did it in Acts. 
You remember Acts chapter 2, don't you, when the Holy Spirit fell? In Acts chapter 2, verse 4, it says, They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And what was it they were speaking down in verse 6? It says, Everyone heard them speak in his own language. They were speaking these languages and they were sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ in their languages. There's physical protection. He says, They, they will take up serpents. Where, where did I put that rattlesnake? Uh, did y'all see it anywhere out there? <laughs> That's what he says. He says they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. This is in a gospel context. And you know what? It happened. You remember Acts chapter 29? Or Acts chapter 28? There is no chapter 29. <laughs> Acts chapter 28, when Paul was on his way to Rome and they were shipwrecked, and he was there on the Isle of Malta. And then it says in verse 3, it says, When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. It bit him. But then in verse 5, it says, But he shook off the creature in the fire and suffered no harm. Why? Because God had more work for him to do. And some want to say, Well, what about the Jim Elliot and the Indians in Brazil? Well, God used their death to get the gospel to those Indians. See, God's about the gospel. And when a saved person dies, that's not a bad thing. <laughs> and God will take the gospel to whoever needs to hear it, and that's what the healing is about. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. That's not saying that everybody needs to be healed from any disease they might have. What it is saying here is when the gospel's at stake, God will do whatever it takes. And he does. Some need healing before hearing. Some need ministry before message. God does that. But salvation is the priority. In Acts chapter 3 and verse 6, we read about Peter and John going to the temple. And there's a lame man outside the temple. And it says, then Peter said to him, silver and gold I do not have. But what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And an open door to share the gospel was provided. Not only for that man, but for even the religious leaders of that city. Are we walking in the power of the gospel? And then finally, are we living as a testimony of the gospel? Verse 19 says, So then after the Lord has spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And if you remember what, the, they, what Jesus told them right before he ascended, he said, You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And then the angel came back because they were all going, Wow. He said, What are you standing here looking in the sky for? Get to it. <laughs> Get to it. Go pray. When the Holy Spirit comes, get to it. Get to it. And that's exactly what they did. Verse 20 says, and they went out and preached everywhere. Now notice what he says. The Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Two promises to experience and witnessing. God will work with us. He'll work with us. That's what he says. The Lord was working with them. In other words, he'll do what he needs to do with us. 
Jesus has ascended. How is he working with us? Through the Holy Spirit. With us means he'll give us the boldness that we need. He'll give us the direction that we need. He'll give us the encouragement that we need. He'll give us the, over, the ability to overcome fear that we need. He'll give us the cleansing that we need. God will work with us. But not only will God work with us, but notice what he says, confirming the word through the accompanying sign. God will work through us as well. God works with us and then he works through us. And that means that, that he not only does this work with us and gives us the boldness and direction and encouragement and, and guidance that we need, but he works through us to give the person that is hearing the gospel the understanding, the conviction, the faith, the heart change, the repentance that they need to receive the gospel. That's what he does. Are we a living testimony to the gospel? You say that you believe the gospel. Well, are you a barrier to the gospel? Are you obeying the commands of the gospel? Do you really believe? Are you sharing the promises of the gospel? Are you walking in the power of the gospel? Are you living as a testimony to the good news of Jesus Christ? Do you really believe? Is this gospel worth sharing? Let's get after it. This is Doug Ferris, and I'm blessed to be the pastor here at Underwood Baptist Church. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. It's our prayer that you'll do more than listen to the sermon or gather religious information. We want you to encounter God, and we pray that he will impact your life. If you'd like to contact us for any reason, please go to our website at underwoodbaptist.org. All our contact information is there, and we look forward to hearing from you. I hope you are blessed by today's message.